0: Welcome to the St. Patrick Catholic Community Podcast in Scottsdale, Arizona. We are Christian Disciples in Mission. I'm enjoying um, a book, another book that I'm reading, and the name of the book is called The Dynasty, written by Jeff Benedict. And it, is, it might be a football book, meaning that it's about the dynasty of what the team is called the New England Patriots a team that has won a lot of championships. But the book isn't just about football. Jeff Benedict, in an interview, talked about the book and saying it's about relationships and the building of relationships of how people come together. As I began reading the book, they start talking about a vision, that some people have a vision, and not just seeing what's before them, but looking what can possibly happen. When Robert Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots, wanted for many years to own that team and how it went up and down, but being able to get that and people telling him, you'll never be able to make something out of the New England Patriots. Nothing good will happen there. When he's asked to hire a new head coach, Abel Belichick, he failed in Cleveland. And many people in the NFL told him, don't hire him. He's got a personality that's just really boring doesn't seem to be emotional, and is really not a good coach. Look what happened in Cleveland. And so everyone told him, don't hire him. But somehow, Robert Kraft said, I think he's got the potential to become a really great head coach. In the year 2000, they're looking for a new quarterback, and they see this struggling quarterback, but he did some good leadership skills in the University of Michigan by the name of Tom Brady. And they had many quarterbacks on their list. And yet, when it got to the sixth round, they finally decided at the last minute to um, draft a Tom Brady out of the University of Michigan quarterback. And Robert Kraft, the owner, goes, What are we doing getting another quarterback? And so, when Tom Brady meets Robert Kraft in the halls of the uh, New England Patriots uh, offices, he introduces himself to Robert Kraft and says, Hi, I'm Tom Brady. And Robert Kraft goes, I know who you are. You're a quarterback, sixth round, out of the University of Michigan. And Tom Brady goes, I just want you to know, Mr. Kraft, that this is the best decision that this franchise will ever make. And Robert Kraft goes, wow, that's a lot of arrogance. But he worked hard, but many people said he can't make it. He barely made the roster that first year, and he worked hard at it. But many people said, he'll never amount, he's not uh, big enough, he doesn't have a strong arm, he won't be able to make it. But the story is really about having a vision of what greatness can happen, but not simply making decisions based on things that are happening in front of your face. The first year of New England is only 5 and 11, And all the writers and all the people in the Boston area are saying, see, we told you he wasn't a good coach. But because of the relationship of working at it and believing in themselves and saying, we see something that can happen that right now isn't working the way we want it, but it can in the future. And of course, we know the story of New England Patriots have been to nine Super Bowls since then and won six of them. And it's really considered one of the model franchises. But I learned that the church needs to be the same, especially in today's scriptures. That so often Christians base their whole joy, their whole happiness, their whole decision-making on what's happening in front of them. And they have no idea of how the future can be and what the hope is. And so in today's scripture, we see from the prophet Isaiah speaking to a people that have been in exile and returning back to chaos, destruction, and unhappiness. Everything is miserable. And so all they see is what's broken and saying, how can God abandon us? Why is God allowing these things to happen? Nothing good is going to come from it. And Isaiah reminds them of a vision and says, on this mountain, which is meaning a union with God, there's going to be the greatest feast, given to us by God with all the food and wine that one could have. And in that, death won't be a part of it anymore. And that all people will gather together to rejoice in God's kingdom. And so he lays the vision to a people that is distraught, that only sees what is broken and lacking. And that begins the relationship with God, looking beyond things that disappoint us, things that are failures, things that make us sad. And knowing that we work towards a future. We see this also in Matthew's gospel today, where Jesus gives us an image of what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus always enjoys telling people what the kingdom of God is not like for them, meaning that it's more than what you ever think. And he tells them about a banquet of a king. And the king invites the social um, people of that time. That's how it's done back then. It's a reflection of the social order. And so he invites the elite, the business people, those who are higher-ups to come. And many declined. I'm too busy. I got a lot going on. Let me see at the last minute who's there, whether it's worth my time to show up. And people tell the king pretty much that your son's ceremony and celebration isn't worth it. This disappoints the king. And so he sends out his servants to get other people to say, come, be sure that they got the RSVP. Be sure that they're able to come. And many of them do violence against his messengers. And finally, the king goes against the cultural norm. He invites the poor, the marginalized, people who have no standing in society, many people look down upon them and saying, they are lost, they are not one of us. And he invites them into that kingdom and to celebrate in that feast. The early church takes these image of meals and says, what we experience here in our table is the mirror of what will be happening in the future. We have to see it now. And so, our meals are meant to be inclusive. Our meals are meant to be for everyone. That everyone can participate in our lives without any exclusion. Without being told they're not worthy or they're not acceptable. And so, the mindset of anyone who reads the New Testament is this. What Jesus teaches is more real than what's happening in front of our eyes right now. This is what a New Testament approach should be for every Christian. What Jesus says and teaches is more real than what is happening in front of our eyes now. Otherwise, it's just a fairy tale. Otherwise, it's wishful thinking. Otherwise, it's just prayer saying, God, we're just going to sit here and we'll wait for you to do something. Because if we pray enough and wait long enough, then you'll make things happen. The only reason Tom Brady became good is because he outworked other people. When he first began, he was in the film room every time until 10 or 11 at night. And the coaches used to laugh at him. What are you doing here? Trying to get better, coach. One day... In the room, one of the quarterback coaches who pushed for him and liked him left his notebook there, addressed quarterbacks. And so being alone in the film room, he opened it up and looked at it. And he looked for his name. And on it, the coach writes, too slow with the reads. Needs to be quicker. His reactions are too slow right now. And listed a whole lot of things that he needed to work on. And rather than cry and say, this is too brutal, this is too honest, this makes me uncomfortable, Brady decided to work harder. And he used that as a motivation. And thus the vision came about being good at what he did and what he does now. And Christians have to be the same. So when we hear honest messages of truth that make us uncomfortable, that make us sad and saying we want to hear fluff, we want to hear good things. And sometimes we get so offended and we lash out and we get angry out of fear. And yet Tom Brady gives us a great example to say, use that as a motivation. And so when people are hungry, when people... Are struggling with the virus when people find themselves in nursing homes or jails or prisons or struggling to make ends meet or being forced to go to work in unhealthy conditions because they've got to feed their family. They have no choice. Those are things that we have to address. And those are things that we have to know that God wants us to work for that vision. And so, we have the beautiful image of a table. But what about the table of your life and mine? Who needs to be addressed and included? I think maybe one of the things is, can you and your family at the table, or whoever you eat with at your dinner table, in your conversations, could you talk about in a new way people that maybe you struggle with, that you generalize about? Maybe people from different genders, Maybe from different races, different economic backgrounds, different political thought, different parts of the country, people that maybe struggle in morality or ethics, that maybe you can include them in your life in the sense of saying praying for them, maybe thinking differently or maybe developing a relationship with someone who you see good potential in but are still struggling. How about this political divide that's happening right now? It's going to get more intense before November 3rd. But has there been relationships that you've had to cool off or broken off or remain silent? Because there's just a harsh disagreement? Either because we are filled with pride or other people, that's all they can talk about and they turn us off? Can we really be Christians that set the vision that's more real? That we're going to have room at the table with each other. Because right now, we're not being respectful to one another. We're not being civil to other people. And we let pride in the way get in the way. You and I will not be judged how we voted, whether our agenda is a political sense, but God does judge us and how we treat our neighbor. And if we justify ourselves of saying, I don't longer talk to people of another political persuasion or political party, so that makes me good with God. No, it doesn't. Not when you disrespect people, and not when you are angry with them. That's poor modeling, and that's not the vision that God wants. Maybe someone that we mentioned about in our life issues link, that there's a life issue that you're struggling with. The Pope comes out with another encyclical this past week, and he talks about again about the death penalty. And many Christians are ho-hum about it. Well, we'll take a look at it. Well, you know, let's really look and see what other popes have said. Let's kind of take a look about it. You know, the pope has said that's not what we believe, but yet many people are wishy-washy. And yet maybe that's what we need to invite to the table to struggle with. Maybe people at the border, when there's still family separation that's happening, and children are still separated from their families right now at our very border. But yet we're more concerned about moving on with life. And we've kind of, that's the old news cycles now. And yet people are suffering at our doorstep. Maybe caring about that. Maybe really talking about voices and saying it's just not about me, but about people who are suffering. How about women and families and children who are so tempted to end the pregnancy? It isn't just about passing laws or choosing the right judges. It's really how does a community surround them to help them make better choices so that they have the hope of saying, I can help raise this child with better wages, better health care, better decisions that say, I can choose this child rather than being hopeless and saying, economically, I can't afford this child, so I won't do that. There has to be an all-out vision that says every child, Every person can have good health care and a good way of being. And so, we can dream and say, well, our reality is right now is not close to what it could be. And yeah, that could be true. But yet, the only people who despair, who lose hope, who get angry, who are full of fear are those who have no vision, who can't look beyond of what can be. But we've got to do the work. Christians, sometimes take the easy way out, let's just do more praying. Let's pray. And then we just simply wait for God to make things happen. We have to do the hard work too. God ultimately does that through his grace. But we have to put in the work. And so when we look and open the scriptures, like Tom Brady did with the playbook, and we hear things about ourselves, going, ooh, somebody really thinks that about Christians, that sometimes we're so judgmental? That we're hypocritical, that we're selective, that we're blind, that we always don't love our neighbor. (laughs) Some Christians go, boo-hoo, you hurt my feelings. If Tom Brady did that, we'd never be talking about it. And I guess that would be a good thing for those of you who don't like the Patriots. But when we look at these things that challenge us, we need to be like Tom Brady and work hard and say, okay, how can we be better? How can we do this better? Again, remember, the New Testament is this. What Jesus says, what life is to be like, is more real to the believer than it is what's happening in front of our eyes. We've got to have vision. And we have to know that what God has prepared for us is greater than what we can ever imagine. Thank you for listening to the St. Patrick Catholic Community Homily Podcast. We are Christian Disciples in Mission.